Well, as we venture into the Gospel of Luke, we are now approaching close to the end of the book as we're getting into chapter 20. And uh, chapter 19 was a uh, was a good chapter at the part 2 section, which was the triumphal entry, the entry of what we call Palm Sunday. But with the entry of Palm Sunday also came uh, Jesus having to give the prophecies of what was to come to Jerusalem as he wept over that of Jerusalem. And when you're not just somebody who loves the place you live, but when you're, when you're somebody who loves someone more than anything, when you love your family, when you love your children, when you love whoever it is more than anything in life, and you know the destruction that's coming to them, you cannot help but to, but to show an unconsolable form of, of sadness. And that's what Jesus was doing here as he was weeping over Jerusalem, as he was trying to warn them. And with that, while he was there, he had to cleanse the temple because he was seeing that the that the the bar was being lowered, the standard was being lowered in the form of holiness as the people were selling sacrificial animals on the outside of the temple there and ripping off people for uh, sacrificial animals and money changers and whatever have you. And the Lord came in and he cleaned the house, literally flipped over the tables and changed, chased all of them out of the area. Because the the temple, which was his father's house, this place of worship, was made into a den of thieves, he said. So now, with that, is once again, as the Lord is coming close to to his uh, persecution and his arrest here pretty soon, he also continues to have his authority questioned. But again, the Lord, the Lord gives everything that he needs to give with the best with the best sayings and the and he does it in a way that no one else could ever do it. I just love the parables of the Lord. I love the teaching of the Lord because again, only he could set somebody straight the way he does. And we have the ability and the power because I've noticed that whenever I've quoted the words of Christ, then no refuge has ever been been able to come unless it was from an absolute apostate who is who is suffering from from ignorance or evil or whatever the case may be because the Lord's words are sharper than any double-edged sword. So now we're going to see where his authority gets questioned here in chapter 20 we're looking at. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7, which says, Now it happened on one of those days as he taught the temple in the temple and preached the gospel, that the chief priest and the scribes together with the elders confronted him and spoke to him saying, Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who is he who gave you this authority? But he answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And they reasoned amongst themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? (laughs) But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it was from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You know, as we see the groups in the temple, as the Lord was speaking, there was the priests, we had the scribes, and the uh, the interesting thing within the Jewish religious positions that existed through uh, through like the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of those uh, all of those areas of, of uh, leadership did not agree with each other. They didn't agree with each other in in theological forms or in in other forms, but yet the only thing they did agree on was the removing of Christ Jesus. 
they would constantly try to trap him to say something they didn't like, to, to try to arrest him or even stone him, in which in other Gospels they did attempt to stone him when he claimed his deity, but he escaped through a crowd. But the Lord knew once again what they were up to because he could read minds. He could read minds without even reading facial expressions or hearing whispers. You know, he, he knew what they were thinking and what they were going to do. And when he turned over the money tables and chased off the people selling the animals for sacrifice outside of the temple, they questioned him then, what authority do you have to do that? Now, as such dedicated keepers of the law, why would they allow such a thing to happen, even outside of the temple where the Gentiles would come? The Lord knows the minds and hearts of all. They couldn't fool him. In fact, they were swerved when it got turned around on them. The Pharisees realized the following that that John the Baptist had. He he was a prophet to the masses, which was referred to as a seer, uh, a visionary from God. Nothing John the Baptist ever said was false. They had nothing on him, therefore they had no leg to stand on. Now, being a lawyer, as they were in a sense back then, it didn't always prove that integrity was within their life. And Jesus exposes that in their motives. The, re the religious leaders were concerned over the name of John the Baptist and his following as a prophet, as the Lord mentioned in his baptism. But they, they had no idea who was in their presence beyond any prophet they knew, beyond, beyond uh, any distinguished rabbi that ever stepped foot in a synagogue. Uh, the ones asking all the questions and forcing the laws could not stand to the Lord. It would have been interesting to hear someone ask where they got the authority to do what they did. The scribes are around as a, as a title hundreds of years before a Pharisee or a Sadducee ever came into a position. But we don't have much on the origin of the Pharisee. But the common thing within them and others is their interpretation of the scriptures. It's colored or created around their culture. The Sadducees were caretakers of the temple. And they had their own beliefs on top of it. They didn't believe in the eternal afterlife and where the Pharisees did. Now, just as there seems to be a form of cultural Christianity where there is a free-for-all of do what makes you feel good... The Jewish leaders created a form of cultural Judaism of do's and don'ts. If someone has an issue with a book, they should address the author. Well, Jesus was the fulfiller of the book. As John said, Christ was the word, and the word, the word dwelt among us, as it said in John chapter 1. Now, as we continue to look at 9 through 13, it says... When he began to tell all the people this parable, a certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to a vine dresser, and went to a far country for a long time. Now at vintage time he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again he sent another servant, and they beat him and also treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And again he sent a third they wounded him and also cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. And if we know the whole story of Christ, then we know where this is going, the parable regarding himself and those around him. Uh, the owner of the vineyard is, is God. 
the vineyard is, is Israel. The tenants are the religious leaders and the servants being of the prophets and priests that were sent by God is who he's referring to in this parable. But of course, you know, the son being Christ, the Messiah himself is uh, in this parable that even the religious leaders, they actually could pick up on, on it as parables at times were not always understood, but they were actually able to follow along on this one. And, and when we look at the times of the past in the Bible, he was giving them a, a reminder of what was, as prophets who were truly of God, were persecuted for speaking truth. He gives the example of ones who came on three attempts as the punishment got more brutal. One came, got a beating. Another came, got beaten and insulted. But the third, okay, the third got the worst of them all when the son was sent himself with hopes of results. And when we look at the heart of the situation on the anger of God, I've learned that God allowed us to have children. So that way we can relate to him just a little more. You know, when our children are innocent and, and they're attacked by evil tyrants, what is the first reaction of a loving parent? I would like to think that we're going to want some form of retribution. Now, as Israel was the chosen nation of God, the world he created is, is his as well. He does what he wants and when he wants, and no one can stop him or have, or have any say otherwise. We are all caretakers of the place we live, or we are destructive forces by personal choice. It's one of two things. We either take care of what we have, or we're the destructive force. And he is the owner. We are the groundskeepers, and like everyone on earth, we fall short sometimes. And there's a difference, though, in how we fall and why. Because, you know, a child of the Lord and a lover of the world have something in common. And, and that, that commonality is a sin nature. A child of the Lord falls into sin where a lover of the world walks in it without a second thought or conviction. Uh, the people of Israel were to be set apart from the world and, and their neighboring countries. And as they were, there were people who inhabited the land in wickedness, though. But again, through the, though, throughout the Bible and throughout the Gospels, we see a plead for a change in that of repentance. Because God is merciful beyond any of the nicest people that we have ever seen or knew. But after a while, even he says enough is enough. And we can see this as a warning signal uh, for the storm to come. If God is merciful to give opportunity to make provisions and to make changes, it's not his fault that we ignored it. You know, we can look at Noah in Genesis. God gave them 120 years to make a change, but Noah was mocked and he was ignored and then it was too late. And I think the worst, I think the worst sufferers the ones who suffered the most out of, out of the flood had to be the ones closest to the ark when it was flooding. I couldn't imagine knowing that shelter was within a few feet of me as people may have been probably banging on the door pleading to come in and, and Noah couldn't open it. The ark was given to Noah and his family because they believed and worshipped. They, they're the ones who believed and worshipped God where the neighbors closest to him did not. But you see, we're in 2018 now, and as we see what's going on around us, the warning signals are continuing, and by the grace of God, we still have the opportunity to escape the fate. 
But in verse 14 to 16 it says, But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the, vi- the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, Certainly not. <laughs> the wickedness of man is sad as the parable of the ones killing the son for the ownership of the land was a typical plot at times. In these days, if someone worked on land for about three years, they would actually assume ownership of it if the true owners weren't present. Uh, reason being is that land titles were not around. There, there were rules, but the rules were not always followed. And I, I think of this uh, time. There was a wicked king in the book of Second Kings, and he had an even more wicked of a wife. And perhaps you've heard the name. Her name was Jezebel. And we have women who do things in life that are evil, or you know those those evil women in life. We normally call them. They, you've heard the term, you Jezebel, <laughs> and that's the, the calling a woman a Jezebel is is the ultimate of an insult. But what happened was the king wanted this prime vineyard, and not far from his place. There was a small little vineyard that was prime, but the owner, he refused to sell it to the king because land ownership was to go to family. He just didn't go and sell your land. So he couldn't sell it to the king. The king was offering top dollar and whatever have you, and he just wouldn't sell it to the king. So the king came home depressed. As Jezebel asked, what, what's the deal? Well, you know, what the deal was, and he told her, so... Her response was, as well, I'll take care of this. Jezebel, she went and set him up and he was killed in what looked like uh, the land, the, the landowner did something in breaking a law and therefore she made it look like a justified death by execution. And shortly after her death occurred in a very violent way as she was ran over under, a, uh, under some moving wheels as part of her demise and dogs licked up her blood from the ground is what it said. We see the same mentality in those that the Lord was dealing with. That we, we want something so bad that we are willing to kill an heir in order to take it from him. He was exposing their plan to kill him. He knew that he, that he was going to die soon, but how, and how he was going to die, and that no one would stone him or kill him by their own hands. But he was pleading with them in, in their repentance to change hearts. I think the ability to read minds and hearts is one of the hardest things to endure. You know, I as well as many would hate to know what those closest to you really think when they would never say out loud until you anger them enough to the point of bravery by rage. Uh, the Lord who the Lord who came to do wonderful things while on earth, saving the world in Israel, was there to do just that. He was there to bring an eternal life to anyone who received him. But on top of that, he was blessing people, healing people. He was feeding them, raising them from the dead. He was doing miracles that no one could ever do. But yet he was the subject of the parable and the murdered son who was there to help to do well for the good of the people. Now, when he spoke of the parable, they actually caught on to what he was saying. And, of course, they didn't like it. 
He was the son. They were the corrupt murderers. The Lord was trying to get them to turn from their ways. If someone's child is harmed, their father is going to be the first person, or the, to be the last person you want to run into because of the wrath of the father is unstoppable. And is also justified, especially when evil harms the innocent. And the evil ones in the world is a pitfall to their own demise. How could anyone not love Jesus, right? I mean, there are very nice people that are such a joy to be around, but yet none of them can compare to the pleasant presence of Christ Jesus. And as we continue, we'll see more of that question being answered in verse 17. Let's take a look here as it says, And then he looked at them and said, What then is that that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. But whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him into powder. And the chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people, for they knew he had spoken this parable against them. So the Lord quoted Psalm chapter 118 verse 22, which uh, the book of Psalms was one of the most quoted books that he ever quoted from the Old Testament. Uh, the book of Psalms is one of the highest books of, of the Old Testament that Jesus quoted from. And it was called a messianic psalm, referring to prophetic insights of the trials of Christ. And I mentioned the fact that people didn't like Christ. And how, how could that be? Yes, there was evil in their hearts. And yes, there was those who, who lived in the dark and could not stand the light. But the other side was those dealing with popularity and power. Also, a big part of what is evil in that was pride of the leaders. They heard the Lord, who in their blindness only seen this carpenter from the city of Nazareth, who healed lepers and raised the dead and made the crippled walk again. And they witnessed it and yet had a problem with that in what he said about himself. He said, I'm the chief cornerstone, he said. He was the, which was the corner part of the building that actually bared the weight and the stress of the way the building was holding up the walls. That's what a cornerstone was. And when Jesus rode into town and the people were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now, in what it meant, in what it means, and they were laying down palm branches on the ground, and the Pharisees were angry about it. They said to him, silence them, and he said to them, and even if they did stop praising, the stones would cry out and praise. So why? Because the cornerstone was in their presence. And when someone is in a form of leadership, they do not like it when someone else takes the glory. If there's no cornerstone, or if it's rejected in the building, the building will not stand. And if the cornerstone is not present, then eventually the building will fall and fall on anyone in there who, who chose to build it that way. See, he gave the example between someone who falls on the stone versus the stone falling on them. Jesus is our rock, and when we fall on him, it's due to brokenness, and that's exactly where we need to be with the Lord. But I like to look at Proverbs chapter 26 verse 27 which says that whoever digs a pit will fall into it and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. And that's the difference that the religious leaders they were trying to roll the stone and the Lord was warning them that it would roll back on them grounding them to dust versus brokenness where God does his best work into the repairing of a broken person. You know, have you ever noticed the difference in things that are that are hard pressed versus crushed? 
you know, we, we could take uh, extra virgin olive oil, the purest of the batches, and it's cold pressed, it's not crushed. And it actually advertises that on the bottles. So that way that you know that it's been through the process. It's extra virgin. It's the purest because of how it was made. It was cold pressed. It had to go through the process. But whether anyone likes it or not, every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus is the Lord. And as it's said in Philippians chapter 2 verse 10, it said, But blessed are, blessed are those who are doing that in relationship, love, and worship of him. Now in brokenness, instead of recognizing it before, it's too late by being crushed. As I end this, you know, this there was a very there was a story of a pastor uh, who had a, there was a pastor with uh, kids. He had young kids and a and a wife that he had lost. But I want to I want to end on that note here at the very end as we continue though because we're looking at now we're looking at the Pharisees coming in to ask a few more questions. But but as we look at that, the, the Pharisees gave the uh, uh, the question, the ever so famous one: Is it lawful to pay Caesar taxes? You know, and, and uh, Jesus actually he he did what he did best. He said, "Why do you test me? You know, show me a denarius. Whose image is, is inscription uh, does this have?" And they said it was Caesar. So he just said, "Render to Caesar what is the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's." Which means that, yeah, you, you are to pay your taxes because it's the law and the, it was the law of the land. But you are also to give your tithes for that was the law of God. You know, Jesus was always following the rules. You know, they, 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 paid, they paid Caesar, they paid God the, their tithe. And so, in fact, that's, you know, when... When uh, before Jesus was born, his parents were actually showing up to uh, uh, to Jerusalem there to uh, to basically register their names and to pay their taxes and whatever have you. That was that was going on right around the time of his birth. But so I want to look here at what the Sadducees. <laughs> these guys are interesting. It says in verse 27, Then some of the Sadducees who deny that there is a resurrection came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies having a wife, and he dies without children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers, and the first brother took a wife and died without children. And the second took her as his wife, and he died, he died childless. And the third took her, and in the like manner, the seven also, and they left no children and died. Last, all the women died also, therefore, in the resurrection. Whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as a wife. And then Jesus answered said, You know, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Nor can they die any more, for they are equal to the angels and are, and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob for he is not the God of the dead for the but of the living for all for all live to him and then some of the scribes answered and said teacher you have spoken well but after that they did they dared not question him anymore you know and so we take again like I said you have the the differences between the scribes and Pharisees and, and the fact that, you see, the Pharisees, I mean, uh, scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees, this is one of the few times we ever heard of the Sadducees mentioned, because these guys were caretakers of the temple. 
But the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the afterlife. So it's an interesting concept. Why would they be doing what they're doing? Uh, even, even serving in the temple in any way, shape, or form. Why would they even be serving God if they didn't believe in the afterlife? That is basically a form of atheism. They believed in scriptures, they believed in this, but it was a really interesting concept. But then Jesus continues to say in verse 41, And he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Now David himself said in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? And then he says, beware, and beware of the scribes. Then in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who, de who desire to go around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues and the best places of the feasts, who devour widows' houses and, and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. You know, the Lord was pointing out that these teachers of the law, all three of them, had something in common. Even though they both taught, they all taught differently from each other, if there's something they loved in common, they loved the association and the benefits with their position. They had no qualms about cheating the poor in order to get uh, more benefits. But he was making known that God will punish people who use their position of responsibility to cheat others. And whatever resources you have that have been given, use them to help others, not just yourself. That's what the Lord was doing. And we think to ourselves, how strange to think that teachers of the law would receive the worst punishment. But that's the thing what the Lord said, that even James says in his epistle, that you should, some of you should not presume to be teachers because you will be judged more harshly. And I've had people mentioned that, you know, in the past where they, where they would quote that scriptures. You know, and we think to ourselves that, you know, yes, they were referring to misleading, misleading in their teaching. You know, there's a lot of good teachers out there that have made little mistakes in certain things. I've done it, and so is some of the greatest out there that people consider the greatest. They've, they've made or quoted something wrong, and, and, uh, and people will use that scripture. And they'll say, you know, you shouldn't presume to be a teacher. You know what it says in James, you'll be judged more harshly. People forget that it's not just what they're teaching out loud, but people forget that how are you really are behind the scenes. There's a lot of shiny diamonds behind pulpits, but once they get behind closed doors, they're, they're dark and dirty as coal. There's a lot of wonderful speakers, a lot of uh, educated, a lot of educated uh, uh, Christian speakers out there. But unfortunately, even I've heard some of the greatest with a PhD make biblical error. You know, having a PhD at the end of your name doesn't allow you to choose to change the letters to G-O-D with a small G, of course. But again, it's not about the credentials. It was about the anointing and the appointing. And it's about your heart. And it's about, it's about truth. Jesus called out everything and everyone on all things. I, I wouldn't know what the credentials for being a Sadducee were, depending on your educational uh, credentials back in the day. Now, in order to be a, a Pharisee, you had to go through some schooling. 
in order to be a scribe, you had to go through some schooling. You had to you had to be you had to be the best writer. You had to be uh, basically skilled to the max in order to be writing down the scriptures. I mean, we we look at scribes uh, that we called Masoretic scribes before the printing presses happened. It was it was said in historical documentation that they took their job so seriously that any time they wrote the name of God or or if they misspelt anything, they would actually they would actually remove their garments, they would bathe, put on new garments, they would get new ink with a new pen and start writing again from where they left off. They took reverence. They took special reverence to certain things. But again, the Lord the Lord looks at the true heart. You know, be, behind the appearance of holiness... Their respectability was arrogance, craftiness, and selfish, uncaring demeanors. And the Lord was bothered very much by that. I will say this about the people I've learned from over the years. Yes, I have credentials. Yes, I have a degree. Yes, I have uh, uh, certifications in, in different, uh, in different uh, things from a biblical and counseling standpoint. But those are all things that were from uh, organizations uh, of man, if you will. If there isn't a true anointing from the Lord, then then nothing you do is going to mean anything. The Lord's not impressed with any of that stuff. The Lord's impressed with the depth of our hearts. And I will say that, that I'd like to think that the ones that I've learned from over the years were not just phenomenal teachers, but they were phenomenal behind-the-scene livers of the Lord. <laughs> behind-the-scene um, men of God, as they were behind a pulpit. Am I saying they weren't without sin? Absolutely not. They'll be the first ones to tell you that they were as sinful as the next person, which I could appreciate. But I will say that again, that, that I think one of the most important things was the fact that the ones I got to learn from were the ones who actually lived to be real, that their personal holiness matched up with the holiness that was behind a pulpit. And again, when we take it again, when we look at the Sadducees and the fact that they didn't believe in an afterlife, I was I was mentioning about this pastor who lost his wife in a true story. He lost his wife, and and they had young kids, and they were at the funeral service. And after the funeral service, driving home, a very large semi truck passed by them, which casted a large shadow over the car. And the children asked the dad, what was it like when mom died? And the dad was able to respond. He said, you know, did you see that big truck pass right over us? Did you see that big shadow that just kind of casted over us? It, it casted gently over us and just went away. He said, that's what it was like when she passed away. Versus those who do not have the Lord. It would have been more like the truck hitting them head on at full speed without him in their life. See, we don't know how long we're going to go, or when, when we're going to go, but how do you want to go? 
when your spirit leaves the body. See, there is an option. There is an option for a more pleasant way. Death is scary to many. Death is even scary to, to believers. But it doesn't have to be when you have him. So I want to be able to give that option right now. To say that the Pharisees were wrong. (laughs) The Pharisees actually ceased to exist after the temple was destroyed. They were no longer around. They were irrelevant. But the word of God and, and eternal life stands forever. So I want to give you the opportunity now to receive the Lord. And to ask that question that if after hearing this message... That if, God forbid, if something were to happen to you, would you be able to say with confidence that I'm going to heaven? Many people can't say that. Many people have questioned, I have no idea if I would or not. Well, now you will have the ability to say with confidence if you do one thing, which is a special prayer of repentance and receiving the Lord. If you want that, simply repeat after me and receive Him in truth. Dear God, please forgive me, Lord. Father, please forgive me of all of my sins as I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner. And Lord, I ask of you, Lord, to come into my heart, Lord. And Lord, I just want to thank you for dying on the cross. I want to thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Lord, I now receive you, Lord, as my Father, my Lord, and my Savior. So Lord, please... Father, Lord, receive me when my time comes, Lord, as I now have received you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, again, I just can't tell you how pleased I am. I, I, they, that old saying stands true about saving the best for last. <laughs> you know, the, the word of God being taught from the intros to the end is just such a wonderful time. But to uh, to receive the Lord, that is just, again, that is just the best time ever. That is just the greatest thing that you could ever do. Why would we not want that? See, heaven does exist. Unfortunately, so does hell. But you don't have to go there. The choice is made to you, by you. So if you've received, well, you've received well. I just ask that you continue to receive him in truth as you walk daily with him. May God bless you.